Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good, uh, in part, uh, listeners, because uh, today's episode um, really allows me to um, uh, get my policy geek on, right? Okay. Um, I, I think you get your policy geek on quite a bit in this well, pretty much every I'm just morning. saying. I, I start reading the newspaper, and I'm just like, wow, this is fascinating stuff. And then I go down, you know, a policy rabbit hole, and the next thing you know, I'm like, Oh, damn, I'm going to be late to class. <laughs> and see, I think of this episode in part as one of those unintended consequences things. Yes, yes. Um, which, is, which is a theme that we pretty had. much for this whole podcast. Okay. Like, that's just, okay. we, we're right. like, the government does a thing and it's, and they probably didn't think about this thing as a result of the thing. You know, the framers put a clause into the Constitution, like, you know, hey, every 10 years, we're going to count people. And then they didn't recognize what a big deal it would be. Right, because once you get 330 million plus, (laughs) it's a lot harder to count than it was when there were, you know. And then you tie government benefits and representation. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. and and now it's just bananas. Yeah, right. So a part of what started this conversation is... That, rel- that the government on a regular basis changes what it says are nutritional rules for foods being served to children in schools. That's correct. And infamously, there have been some really bad choices. Uh, ketchup is not a vegetable, even though it was listed as one for a while, right? Yeah, during the uh, Reagan administration. Yeah. Right. There's been yeah, there some was really a big bad about, about that. Yeah. But we're also talking about the the fact that the pyramid used to have an enormous amount of grains, right? Yes. And an Nipinous enormous food. amount of meat, right? And and like and, and then vegetables were like, oh, you should probably have some vegetable, right? Like it was this weird, and now we know we know enough about nutrition to know, first of all, every individual is different, yeah, nutritionally, but also we know that like, that was wrong. But, and then you get into the FDA, we just have just been discussing the FDA, but you get into the FDA allowing a certain level of sugar and a certain level of fat in various foods, which leads us to what where we went with this episode which is first of all this episode will not be about fat shaming obesity shaming anything like that augie and i yes i mean do we're not, not no we're not doing that right do not we we don't we don't believe that there is any reason that you that that's anybody's business particularly in terms of your body your life your choices right that's all about you and there are lots of reasons why somebody might be overweight. There might be genetic reasons. There might be conditions that cause that. Um, there might be other issues, and nobody knows anything about those. We're not talking about those. What we're basically talking about is health at any size, which is not true. You cannot be military ready and be obese at the same time, according to the U.S. government, right? Okay, so, you know, Nia's talking about, uh, while uh, at the time we're recording this episode, um, Nia and I uh, um, saw two related data points, if you will, right? Um, uh, Early in 2023, the Biden administration announced uh, what Nia just previously discussed. New food guidelines, okay, for uh, meals served at schools in the United States, K through 12, right? Yeah, they're trying to limit the sugar. Okay. That's going, uh, they're trying to limit other things, but they're mainly trying to limit the sugar that's going into the foods. Now, you know, first step, constitutionally, the federal government has 
constitutionally no role in public education because historically that's the domain of states. But again, the federal government kind of sort of insinuates itself, okay, <laughs> into, okay, the, you know, the meals served at public schools because they create federal government programs that give a whole bunch of money, okay, to school systems across the United States. And by doing so, they now have, you know, a chit in the game, right? Right. They have a stake in the game, right? The other data point, okay. Wait, time out. They also have a public health concern. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get to that, okay? Okay. But, but this is one data point, right? Right. The government is involved, the federal government, not state governments, not local governments, the federal government is involved with, okay, food and nutrition guidelines for the meals served, okay, at public schools. Right. Right. And we're going to get to the controversy about that. So that's the one data point. The other data point is something that Nia and I took note of last summer, right? So listeners, you probably have picked up on this, but me uh, and I have a background in Homeland Security, right? One of Nia's graduate degrees is in Homeland Security. For a period of time, I was the director of VCU's graduate program in Homeland Security. And for an even briefer amount of time, I was in charge of the entire program, undergraduate and graduate. So we pay attention to stuff when we get you know news articles right that talk about the nation's preparedness okay in regard yeah, it, it pings on our radar yeah it pings on our radar so what we're talking about is last summer summer of 2022 uh, a lieutenant general from the marine corps david uh Audigen, okay wait audigan 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 yes audigan right um, and again, longtime listeners, you know, me and I love. Uh, we're, we, we love, love names, but we're not always great with them. But yes. this, we we like uh, General Adignan because you know yes. his name is hard to say. Yes, but he testified in front of a congressional committee, the Senate Armed Services Committee, and he went ahead and reported. Which not, which, which by the way is where a lot of these sorts of information come from because the Senate. Armed Services Committee is like the big kahuna in terms of yes. congressional oversight of, of the military. Of the military. And, and, and again, so if you, if, for listeners who want to keep up with these kinds of threads, just watch who they're talking to and what, what things are coming out of that committee. Yes. Anyway, sorry. No, but I mean, but yeah, me, he said something pretty terrifying, didn't he? Well, in me and I are also uh, very interested in this particular Senate committee. Because historically, in our lifetime, okay, the state of Virginia has always had at least one of its senators on the Senate Armed Services Committee. <laughs> Which makes sense because of the military here and Pentagon yes. is, in, is actually in Virginia and uh, yes. right, and all it, those things. But he said something that just, just blew us away. He said that only 29% of American youth are eligible for military service, okay? And then he goes on to say only 2% of 17 to 21-year-olds 20, are both eligible, meaning that they can meet the minimum physical and mental requirements and have a propensity to serve. Only 2%, right? Right, Which, like, with, when you run a volunteer army, this is a that huge, is that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. But the problem is that they that twenty nine percent of them, for the most part, cannot meet the physical standards. Yes. Now, some of it is also a, a some a certain small percentage is they they have a criminal record that does not allow them to serve for whatever that's reason. Right. They've yeah. murdered someone. They've done something like that where they can't. Although I'm. I'm a little unclear on why murdering someone would keep you out of the military, but <laughs> purpose-wise. But anyway, um, but mostly it has to do with their physical lack of eligibility. Yes. And this is the first time when 30%, I mean, 
dang near 30% of American youth cannot serve because they can't pass the, the eligibility no, 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 requirement. No, 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 no. Only 29%. Only 29% are eligible, right? Right. Sorry, okay. 70%. So over 70%, 70% of our young people are not eligible. Sorry, not eligible. I had it in reverse. I had it okay. in reverse. I'm sorry. So, I mean, what you just got done saying is even worse because it's even worse, right? More young people are not qualified. So, what's the deal with this, Augie? Why are people not qualified? So what we're talking about here is, and this is where why Nia and I wanted to do an entire episode about the, the connection of these two policy, if you will, issues, is that one public policy can affect or contribute to another public policy problem, right? Right. And it's the interconnectedness it of policy problems and solutions that is oftentimes not covered or addressed, and they probably should be, okay? And that's a longstanding problem in regards to public policy in most Western democracies, but particularly in the United States, right? We just yeah. get this tunnel vision about, oh, we have a problem about how we feed our kids at school. And then we just focus on that. But there is a related problem because our children are growing up, okay, to be physically unqualified for a vital federal government service, which is <laughs> national national it's defense. defense. That's right. right. Okay. So, and and part of what I think of this is the the law of unintended consequences, right? Yes. It's this it's this idea of so part of why the government has allowed children in school to think of, you know, to, why Reagan allowed ketchup as a vegetable is because it is cheap. Yeah. It is inexpensive and the government gets lobbied. We've talked about this over and over, this, this tension between the government needing to regulate a thing, but the government also needing to be financially responsive to encourage the thing, right? Yes. So for the longest time, corn was not in everything that we ate. No. <laughs> but then the lobbyists came along and they're like, you know, we got a lot of corn. <laughs> and, and the next thing you know, corn is in everything, right? High fructose corn syrup is in everything. And if, because and if that, lobbyists and if that good, made yeah. that and if that wasn't good that enough, door. Okay, then we also added uh, um, uh, corn byproducts to our gasoline. <laughs> exactly. And we feed corn to animals and we like all of it is all of it plays in. So when you pluck one string, the entire heart makes a noise and sometimes it's a terrible noise. Yes. Because these things are interrelated. If we if the government does not encourage healthier eating and physical activity a combination right because yes you, yeah, it, yeah it's not just that you need healthy eating we don't, we don't need to say and all children need to be vegan there we go we're done right that's not the solution either the solution is that there needs to be a mixture of both but if the government doesn't do that the unintended consequences 10 or 12 years later those kids can't serve in the military that's right and then people who say we need to put troops in ukraine what where would you like for us to get them Yes. Right. Like, I mean, it, it's a mathematics problem at that point. It's a sheer straight up mathematics problem. Okay. So some of the statistics, um, and when I was doing the research, Nia, I mean, I was aware generally of the problem, but some of the statistics, okay. So um, recent studies found that COVID-19 is responsible for a spike in obesity among American youth. Okay. Well, and let's be honest, American adults yes. as well, because okay, but for this particular podcast, but, but for this purpose, we're talking about, about children, the youth, you. right? Right. So as COVID ends, okay, about 20%, 19.7%, over 14 million young people are categorized as obese. 
Now, listeners, I know some of you are very critical. You are aware that some doctors are very critical of the federal government's body mass index, okay, which has, okay, a whole bunch of Americans considered obese, okay? We get that, okay? And we get that the numbers may be weird and off a little bit, but by but, but 14 million, even if you have a rounding error, okay, let's, that's a know, lot of young people. That's who a lot are, of young people. Okay, who are obese. 76% of American youth fail to meet federal physical activity guidelines, which is what you just got done talking about, Neo, right? Right, walking 30 minutes a day or, you know, aerobic or anaerobic activities and blah, blah, blah. blah, Yeah. Okay. Which, by the way, the CDC has a whole guide in how much physical activity you should be having for your age and your, you know. Yes. Speaking of the uh, CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, okay, uh, it has reported that childhood obesity rates have tripled over the last three decades. So basically, we've gone from roughly six, six and a half percent of the youth population being obese to now nearly 20 percent. Okay, that's in the last 30 years, right? And we're talking about the wealthiest nation in the world. Okay, right. We're we're not talking about a third world underdeveloped nation, okay, that doesn't have the resources, okay, to feed its population well and to encourage its population to get daily exercise. We're talking about the wealthiest nation in the world, right? But it's not just the obesity, because Nia, as you and I have talked off recording, okay, when you have pediatric you know, uh, obesity, then you get other chronic diseases that plague these individuals the rest of their lives. Things like hypertension, sleep apnea, diabetes, fatty liver disease, and depression, right? Just to give you one example, from 2001 to 2017, the number of people under the age of 20 living with type 2 diabetes grew, and this statistic just blew my mind, by 95%. And in case you're wondering, type 2 diabetes is often commonly called adult onset diabetes. It is something that often happens to people in their elder, well, in their their 50s, 60s, 70s, right along in there. And this is happening to people in their 20s or younger than their 20s. That's right. Right. So it's not we're not talking about adults making adult decisions. We're talking adults making decisions for children that are harming them in ways that are that are lifelong. Once you're in the diabetes, it is a realm of medicine is really hard to get out of it. Yes. Okay. So. The USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Okay. Uh, and sorry, we want to note of that 95%, probably 10%, it's a natural, like there's other factors. Sure, that's right. It's not just. But it's still a staggering increase. But it's, it is yes. a huge increase. Yes. So the USDA, okay, and we've talked about the USDA um, uh, for, you know, listeners, well, you know, gratuitous self-plug. Um, you know, we did an entire, you know, series on, you know, <laughs> uh, federal government cabinet departments, and we did an entire episode on the USDA, okay? But the USDA has the responsibility of administering nutritional programs, okay, for the, you know, nearly 30 million young people in the United States in the over, I didn't know there was this many schools in the United States. Over 100,000 schools nationally, right? Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. A lot okay. of schools, lots of neighborhoods. Okay. So they come out, and not only do they have the food guidelines during the pandemic, okay, because we knew that a lot of kids who were getting either breakfast through the Head Start program or free lunches at school, because a lot of kids were not going to school during the pandemic, okay. Um, a lot of these programs got transferred to 
you know, pickup sites, right? Right. In, 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 Which in some instances worsens what they can make available because fresh things are harder. To keep shelf stable. Exactly. Okay. So if they're giving a kid, they're, they're trying to give kids meals that will last a day or two. Yes. Right. That's a little harder than than when you can do it at school. So we recognize that there is the intervening variable of COVID, which had a worsening effect on this. But but we're also talking about the fact that there are companies that contract to districts. Yes. That follow the, quote, federal guidelines. Yes. For feeding children that feed them stuff that you think, oh my goodness, should they really be eating that? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, meals are foods with a lot of uh, carbs, a lot of sugars, a lot of salt. Because okay. those are cheap and, and they, they taste good. Yes. I mean, let's be honest. Augie and I are both yes. people who have dealt with <laughs> addictive things in our lives. Yes. And we both know, if you handed us one of those C's candies boxes of nuts and chews, the, the really good dark chocolate ones, yes. a pound of those things, how long would it take for either one of us to go through those? I mean, we're not, we're not trying to throw shade here because yeah, I mean, you know, we not, know that that stuff tastes good, but part so of parenting and part of nutritional programs should be geared towards helping children find better alternatives better alternatives i mean in 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 again we've joked about this on the podcast okay you know you know the the favorite you know my favorite food with my coffee it's pie and if i can't get pie (laughs) i want donuts right right you you don't say i'm gonna have some broccoli with my with my coffee this morning yeah right when's the last time you did that i've never done that right I can count on one hand the number of times I've had a banana with my coffee, right? Okay, that's a banana, okay? Um, So, you know, we're not self-righteous, okay, zealots here, folks. We understand that, you know, some food that is bad for us tastes really good, right? right? But how do you go ahead and create good habits for young people, right? And- Part of what you have to do is get on board people like the School Nutrition Association. Yes. It was like, oh, no, what you want is too hard. What they really mean is what you want is too expensive, and I don't want to spend the money on it. Well, That's and, what they really mean. Okay, and, and this is where politics intervenes, is an intervening variable in regards to policy. We know what kinds of foods okay, that our kids should be eating at schools. We know this. But when the Biden administration issued the new guidelines, almost immediately there was pushback, right? So you had Republican politicians who have been very critical of increased regulation of school meals because they usually go ahead and conclude this is an example of the quote-unquote nanny state, okay, Um, You had industry groups pushing back because they said school meal participation post-pandemic is already slipping. Um, And if the students don't like the food, the students will, you know, opt out even more. Um, Yeah, and sometimes they won't eat, which is scary, right? We don't want them to not eat. We do want them to eat, right? And I got to admit, as a parent, sometimes... I can't believe what I've gone ahead and, and given my daughter, okay, as a meal, simply because I don't want her belly to be empty. Right. right? And 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 I chastise myself for days afterwards. And usually right. other like parents- Nuggets eat. and fries is not a meal. Nuggets and fries is not a meal. Yeah, yeah. but she ate it, right? Yeah. And we get that. We're, we're not yeah. saying, and so you should present a, a plate of whatever, some, you know- I, I, and I actually like tofu, so I'm not slamming tofu, but like tofu salad to a, an eight-year-old, they're not going to eat that. We get that. We, we're not suggesting that that is the case. But one of the things that 
peeves me about this and I'm just going to be peeved and and Augie can see from my face he's starting to get tickled is the milk thing <laughs> right it's the thing of so the the inter, international dairy foods association said oh but kids won't drink unflavored milk and part of me wants to scream at the top of my lungs i had unflavored milk every day as a child and i drank it and you know why because my mother told me to like I, I, saying that kids won't drink unflavored milk is straight up not true kids don't have to have chocolate milk or strawberry milk and you don't have to flavor and sugar the milk in order to get kids to drink it I just don't think that's, I do not believe that's true. And it aggravates me and Augie's just giggling. You got, y'all can't see him. And he's being very quiet about not doing it on the recording. But, and I know I sound like one of those old people, get off my lawn, you kids. You know, I, I'm not trying to sound like that, but, see, and I, I know that we don't drink enough milk probably for the America, for the recommendation, for the federal recommendations, like kids probably don't drink enough milk anyway. But I don't think that that's the solution is to say, well, if they don't like something, let's just put a metric ton of sugar in it and then get them to eat it that way. That's not. See, I have a daughter who will not drink regular milk. <laughs> so, I mean, what but does what, she put flavored milk on cereal? She won't put milk on unflavored milk on cereal. Oh, okay. Augie, what have you done to this child? Okay, so I picked my battles. <laughs> so, okay. So how do I get my daughter to go ahead and eat eat the recommended amounts of dairy? So I do know she likes string cheese. Aha. Okay. She also likes uh, me making her cheesy scrambled eggs. Does she like yogurt? Uh, no. Okay. Okay. So you got to experiment with your kid is yeah. basically what you're saying is that maybe yeah. schools need to have some flexibility in the options that they offer. Okay. But every time Mackenzie's pediatrician has said, you know, she needs to drink more milk, we are like, well, unless it has chocolate syrup in it, she ain't drinking it. <laughs> okay. We know this, right? So now that's the pushback about the food guidelines. Now let's go ahead and talk about how this becomes an issue in regards to national security, right? So we already gave you the stats from the uh, uh, Lieutenant General, right? And by the way, his testimony was not brand new, okay? Members of Congress should be acutely aware of this because in the last 12 years, I have found four other military officers who have testified that this was a growing problem yeah okay that there aren't enough young people well if it's been going on for decades yes. right if you yes. said three decades you know that it's gone up 30 percent that i mean they've known for a while this was a problem because they try to recruit all the time and, and and to really highlight how this is controversial or the, uh, how it's become a huge public policy problem. It's not just that the number of potential candidates has shrunk. It is also caused problems once a young person has been uh, accepted by the military, right? So if you just focus on the lack of physical activity, and I'm going to mispronounce this word, muscular musculoskeletal injuries have gone up dramatically in the United States military, right? It has led to, okay, 25 million days per annum of limited duty across the military branches. That means you have somebody in the military who, because of pulled muscles, okay, back you know knee sprains etc can't perform their duties they're unavailable for okay the service yeah for service for the arduous work okay that they've been recruited to do and it costs the military okay 3.7 billion dollars in medical treatment 
Buh. Billion. Buh. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> Ball. Okay. Billion, <laughs> not million. Bonzo, right? Okay. <laughs> per, per year, you're saying. Per, yeah, per year. Okay. Well, now you know where the defense budget's going. And moreover, this is extremely problematic because the United States military for decades has drawn their most, the greatest number of recruits from what region of the United States, Nia? I would imagine the South. The South, right? But the South, according to CDC statistics, has the highest obesity rates, rates and the least amount of physical activity rates of young people in the country. Well, it's hot here, Augie. You should just have another piece of fried chicken. <laughs> sit under Sorry, the- I say fried chicken because everybody in the South eats fried chicken. That's or sit underneath the tree and have a Coke. Exactly. Okay, take a load That's off. a better example. Yeah, take a load off, have a Coke, right? And when, when, I moved, when I moved down South for graduate school, I heard that with some regularity. And I'm like, does anybody do anything? Okay. Well, and we put gravy on everything. Yes. And, okay. and we believe that everything should be served on top of mashed potatoes. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, you're having spaghetti. You should put that on. You should put that on another carb somehow. I don't, it's very strange the way we are in the South. I love us, but we are not, we are not particularly healthy. We think of it as down home cooking, right? We think of it as, yes. but when you think about what used to be down home cooking, what used to be down home cooking in the South was vegetables mm-hmm. because people didn't have a lot of meat and they didn't have a lot of carb. That has changed in the Southern cuisine over uh, you know, the last 150, 200 years, as we've moved away from farm life, where, you know, my mom said, my mom grew up on a farm and she said, we would never have killed a milk cow. Are you crazy? Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You that's never, just yeah. not. So they didn't need a lot of beef. They didn't have a lot of that. That was a treat. That was not a regular. What they had was a lot of vegetables because they had an enormous garden. So, uh, yeah. We've lost some of that, but we've also the physical inactivity thing. See, it wouldn't be so bad if people ate poorly, if they also were highly physically active. And we know people who do that. Uh, You and I both know people. I'm not, I know, I see your arms flailing at yourself and I'm not casting that stone. You can cast it at yourself. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, hey, my, my, my family. But you have a high level of physical activity. My family doctor has gone ahead and said, you know, if, if it wasn't for the fact that I work out, you know, five or six times a week, okay, the way I eat. Yeah, because okay, you kind of do eat like a teenage boy, sort of. I do eat. I, I, you know, I'm Not to slam teenage boys. I'm, they're lovely people, but they but, do eat a lot of garbage. Yeah, they eat a lot of garbage. I eat a lot of garbage. I drink, <laughs> a, I drink a whole bunch of coffee, right? Okay. And I usually eat stuff while I drink coffee. Right. But I get away with it because as you pointed out, okay, my physical activity rate, okay, for my age is, you know, above average. Well, and COVID did not help young people because they weren't physically walking around to school. That's right. Right. They weren't having to go to gym class. They yeah. weren't physically walking up and down halls. They weren't doing any of that. So, so they were getting even less physical activity. And there wasn't after school stuff with their friends where they were right. out running in the yard, kicking a soccer ball around, going to a park. Or, we, or we, organized sports. Organized yeah. sports stopped. There was no yeah. baseball. There's no basketball. There's no any of that stuff. Because we were supposed to minimize our contact in right. large groups of people. Okay, fine. Fair enough. But, but but this was happening way before that, folks. We're not yes. we're what we're yes. the point we're trying to make is this has been a slow burn to get us to the point where our military is now saying this is extraordinarily problematic. We because yeah. right now, even if we had to institute a draft, you're still not talking about a huge number of people who would be able to serve. So. If Canadians are listening, this would be a really good time for y'all to make a move. (laughs) 
I'm just saying. I'm not trying to incite insurrection. Well, not insurrection because they're not American. But you know, I'm like, I'm not trying to incite a war. But no, 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 I'm no, just no. saying that. Let's be very that, clear. And me. I'm saying that in a time when espionage is a real thing, understanding somebody's military capacity can make you make different decisions about what you do with your country's yeah, because that's a key capacity. Of, yeah, because that's a key point of analytical assessment. Okay, before you go to war, what is the capacity of your enemy? Right. Right. I mean, and we're already seeing this, for instance, in Russia uh, with the Ukrainian war, where Russia is now struggling to go ahead and replace the soldiers that have either been injured or killed in that war, because in part, Russia, like the United States, okay increasingly has a young population that is not engaged in healthy practices. Right. Right. Um, so. But, yeah. And we're not trying to say that this is just the United States. It's just that we focus on the United States as our, yeah, the generally speaking, the as our government that we, yeah. that we worry about and our government documents. But this, this, obesity slash physical activity problem is happening worldwide it's yeah. a worldwide obesity rates are going up worldwide inactivity rates are going up so and uh, and as we come to the end of this podcast episode me and i both want to go ahead and sort of cast this into a a larger if you will perspective which is this um, you know, Nia, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, okay, unintended consequences, right? Um, but when you are crafting public policy in a country like the United States, um, what you want to do that may be good for the collective, you're going to get pushback on personal with, liberty, on personal liberty, okay, and with good reason, right? And, I don't and, want the government to be able to tell me I can't have, like the whole soda thing in New York where they were like, we're just going to get rid of big sodas. And I'm like, okay, I don't drink soda anymore, but I want the right to drink a soda if I want one. Like, who are you, Bloomberg, to tell me that I can't have a soda? And I remember some of my friends who are generally in favor of government policies that protect the collective who are like, hey, wait a minute here. I'm a fan of 7-Eleven Big Gulp. <laughs> Right. right. Okay. 64 ounces of, of yeah. sugary goodness. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's going to get me through the afternoon. And you're, exactly. telling, and you're telling me that these are going to be banned. Okay. Um, but again, and this is where you get political rhetoric, right? Right. Because you get pushback in regards to, well, on certain policies, you know, they don't get enacted because it's, you know, my body, my choice, right? Right. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Okay. But we are now going ahead and imposing on a whole bunch of young people that it's not their bodies and it's not their choice. How is that compatible? How's that congruent? Well, and for parents, don't oh. tell my kid what to eat, right? Don't uh, yeah. I, that is me as a parent. That is not you as the nanny state government get out of my face. And then you say to a parent, do you think ketchup is a vegetable? And they go, well, of course not. And you're like, okay, well then <laughs> clearly we have, like there's room here to have a discussion, but what we are, I think what Augie and I are trying to get at is one, we need more involvement at the local level of, we need Sorry, I, I need to word this in the proper way. There needs to be less strong lobbying and more strength in what's best for kids yeah, yeah. in the long term than, than we have currently. Because I, I will put to you that, and I'm not throwing Aramark under a bus particularly, but Aramark is a huge um, contractor for colleges for um, a lot of school systems and for the military right yeah. they have these enormous contracts and if they were forced to meet certain standards they would do it because they want to keep the contract yes yes so there needs to be more control in that way but also 
there needs to be more physical activity. A, a lot of times too, part of what we see in the classroom with children is they need to burn off that excess energy. That I excess mean, energy. I, and, I mean, you know, in schools where there's not enough teachers, so they have to cut out PE because they don't have anybody to watch them run around the, the playground and run into each other to knock things over and all that other stuff. Like, so they just don't take them outside and they need that. They need that, yeah, that stimulation. And, and again, it's a good habit to get into because if you get into the habit as a child, okay, of going outside and getting some physical activity, I mean, most of us are not going to be professional athletes, right? We're not going to make the Olympic team, right? But we can, if we get into the habit as a young person of going outside, okay, and getting some exercise, we know that there are ancillary health benefits. Right. There are ancillary mental health benefits. Right. right? There's also ancillary, if you will, intellectual growth and development benefits. Right. Because, you know, Nia, you and I have talked about this, right? If we, if either one of us spends all day, in front of the computer, right? Having meetings, okay, working on reports, in my case, grading, okay? And I don't get to go outside and I don't get to work out or you don't get to go outside and take a walk, okay? You know, it affects our performance. It affects our ability to go ahead and intellectually process, okay, stuff later in the day. There are residual effects the next day, right? Right. And we're cranky and we're, you know, unpleasant to be around. <laughs> okay. And Augie brings out the last point that we wanted to bring out, which is very important, which is the, the idea of building habits with children. Yes. Um, or building habits with young people. Yes. One of the habits that you need to build is to help them make good food choices and make it okay that sometimes they make a bad food choice too. Like sure. sometimes it's okay to say, Nope, I see that salad and I'm going to eat a pizza instead. But if you eat that every day, instead of saying that's the exception or that's the, you know, once a week, and then the rest of the time I'm going to eat healthier. Yes. But if you help them make those, build those habits, then they will carry them into adulthood. Similarly, if you help them build habits of physical activity, then they will carry them into adulthood. And carrying them into adulthood then allows them to be able to serve in the military. It allows them to be able, I, we don't have the numbers for fire and police, Please. but it's gotta be a similar problem of people not being able to pass the physical exams to do those things. And that's a thing that we need to be concerned about as a society, even if you don't care, even if what you say is, well, I'm happy the defense department is smaller and we don't need a big army. Yeah, but we need police officers and we need fire officers we need we need firemen who can put out the fire in the house next door before it catches on your house right like yes if you don't care about anything else you should care about the self-servingness of that yes right <laughs> of your own personal security yeah. and you want people to be able to perform in those jobs but but augie had brought this up as a really good point to me when we were discussing it about this episode was that you know that that sort of habit building allows yeah, I mean, and it allows a kid to have other options about how they deal with stress and about how they deal with frustrating situations than to turn to food or a game on a console yes it gives them other options of things to do with that yeah and in in what Nia is referring to is um uh in in listeners you probably have you know, uh, heard me joke a number of times. I went to Catholic school and I was taught by nuns and not all the lessons of the nuns um, resonate with me. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the ones that, okay, we heard all the time. And I got to admit, when I first heard it, I was just like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Right. But the nuns were always fond of saying healthy mind, healthy body. Right. You want to develop your mind and you want to develop your body, right? Um, and I'm not always good, okay, at either, okay, you know, but I try, right? Right. Um, and, and it's okay to fail. You just got to keep trying. Yeah. And, and, and I find myself answering questions from my daughter, 
where you know if we go out to eat, I will go ahead and get a salad, okay, um, as a you know as, as an appetizer, right? And she'll be like, "Daddy, why are you getting a salad?" And I said, "Well, I'm not always all that interested in getting a salad, but you know if I eat a salad, okay." then if I go ahead and have that big plate of pasta, I don't feel as bad about the fact that I just ate a big plate of pasta, right? Right. Okay. Um, and, and, and she's asked me, you know, you know, daddy, why do you go up? You know, why do you go for a run or why do you lift weights? Um, she goes, you do this like every day. And I said, because I said, um, I feel good afterwards, right? right? And I said, and it gets me to take a break from all the other responsibilities that I have. Right. And I said, and sometimes Mackenzie, you know, in between classes, I'll just go for a walk. And she's just like, but why? And I'm like, because I need to stop. Right. I need to stop thinking about, you know, my students. I need to stop thinking about, you know, a meeting that perhaps I don't want to go to. Okay. Um, I need to stop about, you know, other kinds of responsibilities and taking that walk. Right. And paying attention to what's going on around me, or just enjoying the fact that there's a breeze, okay, um, is a good thing. And I said, and it doesn't always make sense to me, and it's not always very helpful, but I'm in the habit, right? And now I rely upon it. Um, and of all the things that I've grown to rely upon in my life, okay, you know, taking a walk or, you know, you know, getting a good meal with a friend, okay, a good healthy meal with a friend is, you know, some of the better things I've grown to rely upon. Right. You know, right. Of, you know, and you and I have both had habits where we, we are not proud of them. Yes. And, right? and we're also not trying to cast shame or aspersion or no. anything else on the folks who have, who no. find themselves in their 20s and, and, and however old. Um, and have been told, well, just bootstrap it and get it and get it going. It's not that simple. No. And and it would be no, so much not. easier, right? Would be so much easier if the government would help encourage those habits when you are young and don't have to think about it. Yes. Right. And make them habit as opposed to a thing that you have to make yourself do, which is a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Will yeah. is a lot harder than just habit. And so how, so how do we go about doing this as is as important as what? Right? right. So we, we can identify, okay, the policy problems. Okay, but let's start having a conversation about how we do this, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it can't just be, you know, um uh well-paid lobbying for various associations or corporations or, you know, you know, this, that, the other, you know, we need people to sit down and go ahead and say, okay, how do we do this so that we can actually begin to get some meaningful change, right? Because even if you don't care about kids, okay? Which is a little okay, sad. Which is a little sad, but I understand, you but know. Some, if you don't, that's you know, okay too. Okay, but you probably enjoy, okay, national security. Right. Living under the umbrella of the security of being, you know, you know, the, uh, of being within the arms of the American government. Okay, so this is a problem, right? So right. If, even if you don't give <laughs> give it exactly, to, even if you, you don't care about kids, you should care about yourself. Yes, right. And in conversely, if you're not a big fan of you know the, a large Department of Defense, okay, fine, but think locally. Think about your own kids or think about the fact that, you know, you are a young person and you don't want to get to be 40 years old and have type 2 diabetes with a whole bunch of other chronic conditions. Okay. I mean, if you want to think about narrow self-interest, how do we get there? Right. Now, right. Um, in these and the first thing that we need, I think, is for the USDA <laughs> to, to say we are not going to have any lobbying about what the pyramid looks like. Wow. Wow. No lobbying. Good no Lord, lobbying baby. from Good no Lord. lobbying from financial interests. No lobbying. We are going to do that from a from a 
science-based, health-based point of view, and we are not going to take into account any of the industries involved. We're sorry if that causes the milk industry distress. We're sorry if that causes the corn industry distress, but that's too bad because we're putting kids first. And I know that's a pipe dream. I know because lobbying is the way of the American government. But I can dream, Augie, and I'm not going to let you crush my dreams in this instance. All right. All right. Okay. (laughs) I hear you snickering. I hear it. I hear it. But when I'm uh, president, when you're president, okay, I'm going to say to all the lobbyists, y'all need to go over and stand in that room. And I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say until I hear what the scientists say about how we can improve kids' lives through better nutrition. So you're going to give the lobbyists a timeout. Yep. (laughs) okay yep i am in fact a timeout everybody turn around face a corner (laughs) (laughs) thank you augie i I appreciate that we can have this discussion without um being cruel no without being mean to people it's not about that it's not about being mean to people or making fun of people anybody who shames somebody for their for their bodily appearance is a rotten individual who needs to just shut their pie hole because that's not okay. That's not okay. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is protecting children and helping them build good habits. Yeah. Um, And, um, and then to protect us later, because Augie and I don't want to join the military ourselves. Yeah. Cause let's face it. We're too old. Yeah. I don't think any country wants. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine the army that would take us? (laughs) That would be such a pitiful holy cow that would not be a good situation wait a minute isn't augie supposed to be on the? we would have to advise them to just give up we would say y'all need to just surrender isn't augie supposed to be on the front lines no 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 he's back getting a refill on his coffee yeah (laughs) no not good thank you augie thank you nia You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.